Well, good morning and welcome once again to our virtual service. We are going through First John on the um, topic of Am I Really a Christian? So that the title of that series is Am I Really a Christian? And we have so far looked at two um, sermons of this series. Today we look at the third, which we are in First John chapter 1. And we are going to read from verse 5 um, of First John chapter 1 up until chapter 2, verse 2. So we're going to go into another chapter. So First John chapter 1, verse, 1 uh, verse, verse 5 to chapter 2, verse 2. And we're looking at the subject of walk in the light. Walk in the light. Let us read from God's word. And I read from the ESV, follow me as I read from your Bible says what? This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may, not, you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is God's word. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, what a joy indeed it is to draw near to you to hear your perfect word. Whatever your word says is true. And may we submit ourselves to the truth that you expose us to. May our heart be opened to receive it. May we never reject it, O oh God. We pray against the evil one who tries to snatch your word from our hearts. May your word uh, find root in our hearts. And, and, and convict us and teach us to walk in your ways. In the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we pray this. Amen. Um, the, the, the cosmetic industry is one of the fastest growing markets worldwide. Uh, the, the, the reason for this, I assume, is because it, it taps into the human desire to appear perfect to the world. Teenagers are embarrassed to appear in public unless their acne problem is dealt with. Adults find the appearance of a wrinkle to be an unwelcomed guest. So we try to all sorts of skin um, re skincare remedies to, to hide these blemishes that we have to a point that some people will never be caught in public um, we will never be caught dead in public without makeup. Isn't it amazing the things we do to cover up our blemishes? We, we, we do something similar with our spiritual blemishes. 
when we sin, we usually do two things. We either act like it's no big deal that we have sinned, or we try to cover it up. We, 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 we try to hide our sin. We, we hide it from others, and, and even try to hide it from God. But it's crazy. When we try to hide our sin, it hinders our relationship with God and with others. How do you deal with your sin? Do you act like it's no big deal or do you try to hide it? In our study of First John, we, we've been asking the question, am I really a Christian? And we've learned that we, have, we can have assurance of salvation. But, but we have to examine ourselves, right? We, we have to pass John's three tests. We have to pass the theological test. We have to make sure that we believe the right things about Jesus. We have to pass the moral test. We have to make sure that our lives match the, our profession of faith. We have to pass the social test. We have to make sure that our love for other believers matches our profession of faith. Last week we were introduced to the theological test. And next week, I will introduce us to the social test. But this, this morning, we begin to look at the moral test. The, the, the second we, we start to examine ourselves, um, the, 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 the moment we learn that we run into a problem. When we examine the way we live, we run into a problem. We become aware that we, are, we, we, we all still sin. Not only do we sin, we also see patterns of sin in our lives. So what does that mean that none of us are really... So does that really mean that none of us are really Christians? Well, God doesn't want us to sin. God hates sin. Sin hurts us. Sin hinders our relationship with other people. And God doesn't want us to sin. But we still continue to sin. How do we deal with our sin when we sin? That's the most important thing for Christians. And that's how we examine whether we are Christians or we are not Christians. When we sin, we... The question is, when we sin, do we act like it's no big deal or do we run away from God? And neither of those responses are the true way Christian, true Christians should deal with their sin. I want us to look at uh, the, the verses that we just read, see what John has to say about the authentic, um, the way authentic Christians should deal with their sin. First John chapter 1 verse 5 to chapter 2 verse 2 to 2, this here, John wants his readers to have assurance of salvation. And John wants us to have assurance of salvation, and God wants us to have assurance of salvation. In this passage, we see, we see that assurance of salvation is linked to the way we deal with sin. So this morning, we are going to look at three ways authentic Christians are called to deal with sin. Three ways authentic Christians are called to deal with sin. Let us look at the first. The first is that you can't hide your sin if you want to experience God's fellowship. You can't hide your sin if you want to experience God's fellowship. And we see that in verses 5. To verse 7, look at those verses. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light 
as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Our passage here starts by giving us a truth about God. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. You see, everything that follows after that is anchored on this grand truth. Verse 7 calls us to walk in the light as he is in the light. But if we want to understand what it means for us to walk in the light, we have to understand what it means that God is light. In John, light has two meanings and, and darkness has two opposite meanings. First of all, light is a revelation of the truth. And darkness is the veiling of the truth. Light is moral purity. Darkness is evil. When John says God is light and in him is no darkness at all in verse 5. What that means is that God reveals himself to us truthfully. God reveals himself truthfully to us. He, he does not hide himself from us. And we see that he is holy as he reveals himself. There is no evil in God. When we are called to walk in the light as he is in the light, that means we are called to live in a way that is consistent with God's character. We are called to live holy lives and not evil lives. We are called to live our lives out in the open and not in secret. You see, sin and secrecy keep us from intimacy with God. We, we can't experience an ongoing relationship with God if we live in ongoing secret sin. Verse 6 says, If we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We lie and do not practice the truth. But how do, we, how, how, how do sin and secrecy keep us from intimacy with God? The obvious answer is that God is holy and he can't fellowship with sin. But, but it's more dynamic than that. You see, God's light is like a spotlight. It reveals God's holiness to us. It reveals God's will to us. But it also exposes our sin. It exposes our sin. And, and we, we, we don't like to have our sin exposed. When our sin is exposed, we feel ashamed. We, we feel naked and we want to hide. Like our parents in the garden, right? Adam and Eve, when they, were, they sinned against God, their default reaction was to hide from God. Sometimes we even get close to despair. We see patterns of sin in our lives and, and wonder how God could, for, could ever forgive us. And so we tend to run from God when we sin. And we, we tend to run from other believers too. So we, start, we stop spending time with, with the Lord because we feel ashamed. And we tend to avoid other believers as well. At least other believers that ask us how we are doing, how we are really doing. Some even stop going to church altogether because they don't want God's spotlight shining on their sin every week. They don't want to hear the word of God that exposes their sin, that, that shines at giant spotlight to reveal the darkness that is in their hearts. But when we are afraid of God's spotlight, we forget something that is very important about God's spotlight. See, God's spotlight not only reveals God's holiness, God's spotlight only not only exposes our sin, but God's spotlight also shows us the cross where Jesus died. 
So to have fellowship with God and other Christians, we need to walk in the light as he is in the light. We shouldn't live in secret. Because when we are honest with, when we are honest about our sin, we have the opportunity for the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from, from our sin and restore us to fellowship with God and other believers. But when we hide our shame, we forfeit the opportunity to experience God's cleansing power. And I want, I want to ask you an important question this morning. I hope it helps you examine yourself as you think about his word. When you sin, where do you go? Do you run and hide from God and others? Or do you run towards God? Are you running away from God? Or are you running towards God? As we see, we'll see in verse 8, we all sin. Assurance of salvation doesn't come from living a sinless life, although we should experience real transformation over time. You see, assurance of salvation has more to do with how we deal with our sin. Do you run from God or do you run toward God? You see, a real mark of growing in spiritual maturity is when a believer runs to God um, when they sin and, 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 and then desire to put the sin away. A real mark of growing spiritually mature is when a believer walks in the light as God is, is, is in the light. That's the first way we are called to deal with sin. And let us look at the second way we are called to deal with sin as authentic Christians. The second way is that you must confess your sin if you want to experience God's forgiveness. You must confess your sin if you want to experience God's forgiveness. And we see that in chapter 1, verse 8 to 10. Chapter 1, verse 8 to 10. Let us look at God's word. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In other words, you must confess your sin if you want to experience God's forgiveness. Running from God in shame is one bad way of dealing with with sin, but there is an opportunity of uh, that. There is an opposite error as well, and that is to minimize sin. Obviously, that's what the false teachers in John's day were doing. In verse eight, we are told that they say they have no sin. In verse ten, they say they have not sinned, but they are deceiving themselves. We all know that we are sinners, and we all know we continue to sin throughout our lives if we are really honest with ourselves. But not only are they deceiving themselves, but they are also making God a liar. God has spoken. His word tells us that we that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God when you look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23. But not only does God's word say we all sin, God's actions prove that we sin. You see, God sent his son to die for our sin. If a person says they are without sin, they mock the most significant work of God. They, they mock the fact that Christ died for our sins. 
one of the biggest errors we can make in dealing with sins or sin is to is to is to minimize our sin to act like our sin is no big deal and this is the very thing our society does it's even being minimized in so many cold churches just to give you an example Joel Osteen is one of the most popular pastors um, known worldwide um, I presume and I use the word pastor very loosely here in 2005 he was interviewed by Larry King on, on Larry King life and um, when Larry King asked him if he ever used the word sinner Joel Osteen replies to Larry King by saying I don't use it I never thought about it and I probably I probably don't but most people already know that what they are doing is wrong when I get them to church I want to tell them that you can change you see when 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 preachers start talking about sin people start squirming people say can't you just be more positive and that's the thought that runs through people's mind a lot of times. And I've been asked that question myself. I, I want to be positive. I, 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 I must be honest. But the positive message of the gospel makes no sense if you minimize our sin problem. The, the, the positive message of the Bible is that Jesus died for our sin. But if you don't acknowledge that we are sinners and that our sin is so bad that it required the sacrifice of God's own son, then when you say Jesus died for our sin, well, then who cares? We are experts at denying our sin. We, we, we have the ability to summon our inner lawyer to defend us against any uh, you know, conviction that we are sinners. We may deny our sin in the same way that the false teachers in John's day denied their sin, but I'm convinced that we deny sin in all kinds of ways. Think about the last time you got into an argument with someone and they pointed out something you did wrong. What did you do? How did you respond? We are so quick to defend ourselves and to shift the blame on other people. We are so, so quick to compare ourselves to other people and say, at least I'm not as bad as that person. We even compare ourselves with ourselves. We, we think, at least I, I didn't mess up as bad as I did the last time. We, we don't take responsibility for our sin. We, we, we don't take accountability for our sin. That's a subtle way of denying our sin. But we can't minimize sin and we can't deny our sin. When we do, we minimize the holiness of God and the mercy of God. If we want to experience God's forgiveness, we must confess our sin. It's not enough to, to, to not hide our sin. We must confess it. We must bring it out in the light. And we must be specific. If you sin against God, it is always important to name your sin specifically so that you can experience true forgiveness. In other words, instead of saying, I'm sorry for sinning, you should probably say, I'm sorry for dishonoring and disregarding your name by lying, by being consumed with lust, by being unrighteously angry, and so on and so forth. You name the sin for what it is. If you do not confess, if we, we do not confess our sins specifically to God, we, we cannot experience 
meaningful forgiveness. We, we, we need to get it out in the open. Oftentimes, we, in our confession of sin, we try to clothe our sin in such a way that you know, it's not called sin. We, we, we try to use words uh, for that sin that minimize that sin and that make it not a big deal. When you steal something at work, when you steal money at work, you call it misappropriation of funds and not theft. When you, when you uh, fall into an adulterous relationship, you call it an entanglement instead of adultery against God. If we want to experience true and meaningful forgiveness before God, we must call our sin for what it is. We must drag it by the corner and expose it to the light of God's word. We need to get it out in the open. Name exactly how you have sinned. Own it and then know whatever that sin is, for, for that sin, Christ died. In other words, because Christ died for sin on the cross, we have no reason to minimize and hide our sin and, 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 and be weighed down by the burden of sin. We have no reason for that because Christ died on the cross for sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what does that mean? When it says God is faithful, it means that God will do what he has promised to do, to forgive the sins of his people. When it says that he is just, it means that he doesn't simply overlook our sin. In God's justice, he must deal with sin. A penalty must be paid for our sin. If God is to remain just, a penalty must be paid for our sin. So he sent his son to pay the penalty for our sin. God's forgiveness is grounded in his faithfulness and in his perfect justice. Don't hide your sin before God. Don't minimize your sin. Confess your sin and be forgiven. How do you do that? Well, obviously, you should make a habit of confessing your sin in your personal time with the Lord. Remember that our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 6 teaches us to pray to the Father daily and to confess and, and say to him, forgive us our trespasses. To, 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 in other words, we should make a habit of examining our hearts in light of God's word. But I should say this, and this is very important. You see, unless you do so with your eyes looking at the cross where Christ bore the full, full penalty of sin and, and, and poured out God's forgiveness on us, you will only despair. You will only despair. That's why a lot of people say, I know God has forgiven me, but I cannot forgive myself. And that is a grievous error. And that is not just an error. I think it borders at blasphemy. Why does it border at blasphemy? When you say, 
You know God has forgiven you, but you cannot forgive yourself. You are saying you are more just than God. You are saying that you, 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 you require a higher a, a, a standard and penalty for sin that God requires. In fact, you are saying you are more holy than God. The God who forgives all manner of sin. And you say you can't forgive yourself. You are putting yourself in the seat of God. You are putting yourself above God. You see, God's forgiveness is enough. It's enough. We need to confess our sin and confess our stubbornness. I also think it is important to confess our sins to one another. Uh, did you know that there are only four places in the New Testament where we are called to confess our sins? That is in Matthew chapter 3, verse 6, in Acts chapter 19, verse 18, in James chapter 5, verse 16, and in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. And in three of them, we are called to confess our sins publicly. I'm not certain this passage is calling us to confess our sins publicly, but it's possible. When we confess our sins to one another, we give other people the opportunity to minister to us. We give them the opportunity to help us process our sin, to get specific with what's going on in our hearts. We give them the opportunity to speak the gospel to us and to remind us of God's forgiveness. And we give them the opportunity to hold us accountable. But you may object and say, I don't want other people knowing all my junk. I don't want other people seeing all my spiritual mess. Well, brothers and sisters, we all have them. We all have the spiritual junk. We all have the spiritual mess. And our identity and standing among other Christians shouldn't be based on how good or how bad we're doing. It should be based on what God has done for us. I'm not suggesting that you announce all the ways that you struggle with, uh, with, with to everyone. But I'm convinced that when we confess our sins to other believers who know us and whom we can trust, that God uses those people to minister the grace and accountability we need to walk in the light. You see, if, if you don't have some people in your life that are like that, I'd encourage you to start looking and praying for some. You see, God doesn't want us to sin, but we will. At least until Christ returns. And on that day, we will no longer struggle with sin. We will no longer fall into sin. We will no longer experience the consequences of sin. In the words of Martin Luther um, King Jr., we will be free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, free at last. We will be free someday, but until that day, we still wrestle with sin. So the way we deal with sin is so critical. We, we must not hide our sins from God and from others. Instead, we must confess our sin to God and to others. And that's the second way of dealing with sin. The second way we are called to deal with sin. Let us look at now the third and final way. This is it. You must believe Jesus covers your sin. If you want to experience assurance of salvation, you must believe that Jesus covers your sin 
if you want to experience assurance of salvation. And we see that in chapter 2, verse 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. This is what he says. He says, my little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The third, and the third way an authentic Christian deals with sin is to believe that Jesus covers our sin. This is how we know that we are really a Christian. In other words, you must believe that Christ covers your sin if you want to experience assurance of salvation. We, we, we are called not to sin. That's actually one of the reasons John has written this letter. And as we'll see in the future weeks, when, when, when God transforms our lives, we experience greater assurance of salvation. But brothers and sisters, if we, if we base our assurance of salvation on what we do, we are standing on shaky ground because we still sin. We are, we are, we, we are, we are standing on sinking sand. John wants his readers to understand this tension. He doesn't want his readers to minimize sin, but he also doesn't want his readers to despair when they sin. He wants them to have assurance. See, and I'm very aware of this tension as well. One of, the, one of the pastors has said, it's easy to think wrongly about sin. The second we start talking about sin, we are on a narrow path with two deep ditches on each side. If you, if you, if you don't stay on the road, you fall into a ditch. The, the ditch on one side of the road is presumption. We can fall into the ditch that says our sin isn't a big deal. Uh, the ditch on the other side of the road is despair. We, we look at our lives and we begin to wonder how God could ever forgive me. And so we hide our sin from God. But if we want the gospel to make any sense whatsoever, we have to stay on the narrow road. If we want to experience assurance of salvation, we have to believe that we have to believe that sin is a big deal to God. And, and we, we are commanded not to sin, but we will sin. These are the facts. But God has made provision for our sin. That's the narrow road. We have to stay on this road. Just look at again chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. This is my little children, I'm writing these things to you. So that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sin, and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Also for the sins of the whole world. In other words, sin is a big deal to God. We are commanded not to sin, but God's people will all continue to sin. So what do we do about it? We must remember that God has done something about it. We must remember, we must believe that Christ covers our sin to experience assurance of salvation. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, is the propitiation for our sin. Imagine for a moment that you are on trial, right? 
you are accused of being an inauthentic Christian. You are accused of being a fake Christian. And truth be told, you are. You are being accused of being a hypocrite. And truth be told, you are. And there's a lot of evidence stacked against you. It is plain to everyone that you're a sinner. You are guilty and you'll face judgment. In this situation, could you have any assurance of pardon? No ways. No. If we base our assurance on how we do, we'll be found wanting every time. We'll be found lacking every single time. But you have an advocate. You have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He steps up to the plate and he says, I've got you covered. And, and this advocate is not sinful at all. He is perfectly righteous. He is the light of the world. He is the perfect refle reflection of God's holiness. But not only that, he has already paid the penalty for our sin. God takes sin seriously. But it has been dealt with. Jesus satisfied God's wrath. That's what it means in verse 2 when it tells us he is the propitiation for our sins. He has offered his perfect life in place for your sinful life. And he has died in your place and he became sin or who knew no sin so that we may become the righteousness of God. And now God chooses to look on his perfect righteousness and sacrifice instead of your sin. Do you want assurance of salvation? You see, you won't get it by putting your confidence in yourself. That's like jumping out of an airplane without a parachute and saying that you have assurance. You won't die when you hit the ground. You see, our assurance of salvation comes from the fact that we have an advocate. We, we must put our confidence in Jesus the righteous. In him alone, we have assurance. There's a hymn that I love and it says, before the throne above I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love whoever lives and pleads for me. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. To look on him and pardon me. Are you really a Christian? You see, your only assurance of salvation comes from placing your trust in Jesus Christ the righteous. Christ's work is the thing that enables you to run to God instead of hiding from him. Christ's work is the thing that enables you to confess your sin instead of denying it. <coughs> Christ's work is the thing that enables you to experience the forgiveness of, of, of sin. How do you deal with your sin? When you sin, where do you go? Do you run and hide from God or do you run to God? Your answer to that question says something about the main question of 1 John. Am I really a Christian? And may we use this word to examine ourselves to examine our hearts and see that God has indeed made a provision for our sins to be forgiven when we confess 
our sin. He is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the provision of your Son. We thank you that we do not have assurance because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. We, we thank you that we walk in the light, not because we have the ability in ourselves, but because we have been enabled by the Spirit who has regenerated us, who has given us new life, and who enables us to walk in your ways. Thank you, Lord, for um, your, your grace and your mercy, the depth of your mercy that welcomes us when we sin. Thank you for Jesus Christ, who is our advocate, who speaks on our behalf. Thank you 